Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Each episode, we will also be featuring beer from some of the best breweries across the land while we discuss the topic. So grab a pint yourself while we break down the American soccer scene, and as always, support your local brewers. Well, last week in part one, we broke down a lot of the changes in leadership within U.S. soccer, changes in coaching, changes with players, and basically touch base on all of the happenings within U.S. soccer over the past few weeks. In today's part two, we will start things off by going over the results from our January friendlies against Serbia and Colombia and highlight some of the key performers and discuss who took their opportunity to put themselves in the conversation for future senior team call-ups. We will then discuss a major point of emphasis since the last episode dropped, which caused a lot of pushback from listeners about why we should trust the process with U.S. soccer when U.S. soccer hasn't been so trustworthy in recent times. I'll then wrap up today by answering a couple of questions and giving my one and only final thought of the week. Well, as always, before we get into the main topics, I have another great beer feature this week out of Williamsport, Maryland, Kushwa Brewing Company. And today I am drinking a Kush Culture, which is actually a collab with a former feature of, of ours, Resident Culture out of Charlotte, North Carolina. This is a double hazy IPA at 8.5% in alcohol and is packed full of hops with El Dorado Salvo, Calypso, Nectaron, Moteica, and everyone's favorite, Citra. I get a lot of dank pineapple flavor, just enough citrus zest and fruitiness to it, and it makes this one really easy to put down. Kushwa opened up back in 2017 with three local friends deciding to join forces to create something this area of Maryland didn't have. The name itself comes from the local area as part of the Potomac River is known as the Kushwa Basin. Drinkability and clean fermentation define Kushwa's brewing philosophy, and it shows. I've been fortunate enough to get to try numerous beers from here thanks to my in-laws visiting family in the local area there, and I have never been disappointed. And today is no different as this Kush culture collab is fantastic. So thank you to Kushwa for continuing to deliver the highest quality brews and for letting me feature you today. Cheers. Well, if you were like me on the East Coast a few Wednesday nights ago, you got to stay up until the first minutes of Thursday morning to watch the first friendly of 2023 for the U.S. men's national team as they faced off against an equally inexperienced national side of Serbia. As I've said repeatedly the last few weeks, these friendlies were extremely meaningless from a match perspective, and without your top players being available to play, it's really all about the youth players getting experience at the top level, however you want to define that for this camp, and seeing what potential depth is within this squad, or even better, if there are one or two players who could break through into the full squad in the future. And I'll be honest, if you watched the first match itself, you saw the atmosphere wasn't great. It was essentially a glorified scrimmage, and the people in Los Angeles didn't want to spend big money to attend it without star players to see. That's a different topic Uh, of conversation altogether. But I will say this, while the team was inexperienced with eight players getting their first appearance with the senior national team, there were actually a few bright spots despite the obvious nerves that individuals had. Of course, if you were wondering, the U.S. lost two to one. Interim head coach Anthony Hudson was at the helm and regardless of result, you also can't judge him for anything with this. 
He is still utilizing the same system, formation, and tactics from the Burhalter era. He had so many new faces. He was dealing with a group that's rarely been on the same pitch together at the same time before, but he handed someone like Gaga Slonina his first experience. Dual Nationals and Brandon Vasquez and Alejandro Zendejas got their first starts, and he also reintroduced Cade Cowell to the senior lineup. So while the result wasn't important, we should talk about players who played well and should earn another look in the future. And I thought Cade Cowell was tremendous. He was consistently impactful playing down the left flank. Maybe he didn't score or have an assist, but every single time he touched the ball, you knew he was going to blow past the defender and get something going. He was awfully close to getting on the score sheet, but at just 19 years old, he showed he can compete at the senior level. Another who I thought looked incredibly composed and capable to compete in the senior squad was Aiden Morris. He was just so calm. He was solid defensively too. Morris looked the part. He had some moments of inexperience, but once he settled in, you could just see him grow into the game and start to pull strings, but also eliminate any threat through the middle in a similar way to Tyler Adams's play style. I thought Zendejas also looked very unsettled in the first half of play. If you remember, Zendejas is the dual national that appeared for Mexico's senior team last year in friendlies, illegally, I should add, and Mexico have since been fined and punished for it. He was one of the most anticipated call-ups for Camp Cupcake. In the second half, though, he really started to show why he belongs in the mix for the U.S. national team. He was creative. He was attacking down the right flank. He was putting teammates in position to score. He took over the final 15 minutes offensively, but he just couldn't get any of those chances converted. The long-awaited debut for Brandon Vasquez started with a typical Vasquez goal off of a cross and header into the far corner of the net. Maybe it's something the U.S. could have desperately used at the World Cup, but Vasquez is a big presence with a good hold-up play, but I thought he looked rigid out there. What I will say that this current U.S. system doesn't play to a true striker strength, in my opinion. Maybe it isn't all of the strikers coming in, not being able to take advantage of the situation. Maybe it's just the system that doesn't allow them to be themselves. Outside of that, though, there wasn't much else in the strengths list. I thought Jalen Neal, for as much as I believe he will be a true starting center back on this national team, he showed he isn't quite ready for it yet. He did well, but at times he was lost in positioning. But for a young man making his first appearance and start, he managed on very well. Jonathan Gomez, the long, hyped-up dual national left back, looked completely lost out there. I wasn't impressed with his performance at all. Too many mistakes with and without the ball. Alan Sonora and Paxton Pomichol both didn't do anything for me in the middle of the field, and the other two starters in Walker Zimmerman and Julian Gressel were fine, but without much to truly show on the night. Now, moving on to the second friendly of the camp, the U.S. faced off against Columbia, moving just down the road to Carson, California for the match. This time, Hudson made all but one change to his starting lineup, with Zimmerman being the lone holdover in the squad. Sean Johnson was able to start in goal with our fan favorite Aaron Long alongside Zimmerman. Why are all three of these names even involved in this camp? It really didn't make any sense to me why we would call them in, especially didn't make sense to start them when you could allow someone like Roman Celitano to get some experience in goal for the first time, or allow someone like I just mentioned in Jalen Neal get more minutes under his feet, 
or a center back like Sam Rogers, who came all the way from Norway to play in these friendlies. To be fair, both Neil and Rogers eventually subbed on, but given how meaningless these games were, why not just let them play the entire time? We don't need to see the old guys in there anymore. I did like bringing in Dewan Jones at right back and John Tolkien at left back. While neither did anything extraordinary, you can see there's a lot of potential in each, and that provides potential future depth for the senior squad. In the midfield, Kellen Acosta, who could also fall into the category of why are they here and why are they starting? Eric Williamson, who made a sub appearance against Serbia in his recovery from another ACL injury. And the most exciting player coming into this match to watch in Paxton Aronson, the younger brother of Brendan Aronson. Acosta was fine. He's serviceable. He always is. But again, I would rather have seen Aiden Morris again or Sonora grab those minutes. Williamson, for me, was a step slow. He just seemed collectively, overall, it wasn't a great impression for me. Aronson, while he was a bit feisty out there like his brother is, he showed he lacks a lot of strength and awareness, and that's due to his inexperience at this level. He is one to watch for again in a couple of years, but he's going to remain with the youth program for now. And while he had some positive moments, he definitely did. Overall, I just think he needs more time to develop. Up top, we saw Jesus Ferreira, Matthew Hoppy, and Paul Areola. Areola, without a doubt, belongs with the other veterans that have no business in this camp, but were there. They all looked stale and offered little to nothing for me on the night. Overall, the U.S. looked pretty lifeless, but so did Colombia, in what was a pretty uneventful nil-nil draw to end their camp. I've got nothing from this one as a takeaway. If you were to ask me which players I thought made an impression enough for a March call-up, I would say maybe two or three players earn it. Alejandro Zendejas did enough for me in the second half of the Serbia friendly to be intrigued to see what he can do with some of the regular players. He could be dynamic for this national team. He's got this different flair and style than what we have in our current mix. I also thought it was hard to ignore the presence of Cade Cowell. His strength, power, and speed are all extraordinary. There was a player in Brazil squad a few years ago that's named Hulk. He fit that nickname. Cowell is bigger than him. He is our Hulk. He did a lot to show that he could be a dangerous option for our senior national team moving forward. And maybe this is an easier selection to make, but I also think Gaga Slonina did enough for me to move into that third goalkeeping slot moving forward. Outside of that, though, there wasn't much more to say. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of talent coming up, but none are ready for that true next step yet. This is a good year to keep developing, and with a lot of youth tournaments and championships being had in 2023, it will enable a lot of this squad to participate and gain more international exposure and experiences there. All right, so moving on to the next topic today. And this is going to require me to pause and take a sip of my pint and reflect a bit more. I had no idea that putting out an episode titled Trust the Process would get as much backlash from people as it has. Not in a bad way at all, but more people over the past week came to me questioning, why in the world should we trust the process with U.S. soccer, considering all of the issues they have had over the years, the mistakes made on and off the pitch, the current leadership situation, the lack of communication from leadership, just 
how Greg treated fans in public with his comments, etc., etc., etc. It was like a never-ending list of crap that U.S. soccer has done that we just can't overlook it any longer. And we can't trust that we are going to have this golden generation of talent ever reach maximum potential with us hosting the 2026 World Cup. So, respectively, I had planned to release this episode, part two, on Tuesday of this week. I wanted to give a few days between episodes in order to let things digest a bit. Kind of like the old, hey, wait 30 minutes after eating before you go swimming again. But as more and more comments came in, I realized this needed to be a big part of this episode. Nobody really cared about the friendlies, right? So let's talk about trusting the process and what that means for U.S. soccer, and more importantly, what it means for our players and our fans. We have seen issues since the 2014 World Cup cycle. Landon Donovan doesn't make the final roster for the World Cup in Brazil. The U.S. then fails to qualify for the 2018 World Cup in Russia. We hired Greg Berhalter to get the U.S. back on track. His buddies are all hired around him in key executive roles. Trust me, there's a lot more corruption than just this. I'm just stating the obvious ones here. We haven't exactly gotten to the point where fans can trust the process within U.S. soccer. But we should. For one, I am someone who wants to see the good in everyone. In every situation. I want to believe they will do the right things. That there is integrity there. I give that trust because I know I would expect the same for myself. Now, when someone fails to capitalize on that, I will guard up quickly. I will take more precautions. I will be much more skeptical. I had no more trust in December when the Greg and Geo situation happened and U.S. soccer quietly stood aside while the media picked it apart. But then things began to change. Ernie Stewart resigns. Brian McBride resigns. Greg's contract runs out. I realized it can only go up from here. If U.S. soccer can do the right things now, go through a true coaching search, a true leadership leadership search, if they can truly look at their current player pool and put someone in a position to lead these young men into the next World Cup and help reach the level of success we desire so badly, I can push all of the negative stuff to the side to trust the process again. I am not ignoring the fact that there are so many poorly run things in U.S. soccer. I've been pretty vocal and critical about my stance on a lot of those issues. I think to an extent with any sports team that we fall in love with, we're going to have to take the bad with the good. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I am in some pretty verbally abusive relationships with my sports teams. But I still love them. I still support them. I'm still long for the ride. I'm still hopeful. I still want to see the good in them. How can the U.S. break our trust now? That's been the question I've been asking myself. What is something they could do that would make me flip this table upside down and throw my hands toward the sky, questioning everything in life? Well, maybe that's too deep of a question, but you get the point, hopefully. Easy answer number one here. They rehire Greg Berhalter. Simple enough. You rehire Greg, you're sticking a big middle finger towards every single supporter of U.S. soccer and disregarding every single thing there is to be had with the players. You would be in for a world of pain. Another easy answer for number two, 
You promote Anthony Hudson to full-time coach from interim coach. I don't need to explain this any more than how unpleasant of a situation this would turn out to be. Now, the tougher answer, number three here, you continue with the Major League Soccer pipeline of coaches and players. This one took me more time to reflect on than anything else. There isn't anything wrong with MLS coaches and players. However, the conflicts of interest that exist between Don Garber and MLS and U.S. soccer are just too big to ignore anymore. It became apparent that there was something going on over the past few months and years even. We can't be held hostage with player call-ups, coaching predicaments, venue choices for U.S. soccer games, etc. We have to move away from this current setup and do what is best for U.S. soccer in an unbiased manner. I don't think we have done this very well in many, many years. I wholeheartedly believe the MLS and U.S. soccer, they need each other to be successful. That's without a doubt. But I absolutely do not believe we need to make it a priority to incorporate one with the other when it comes down to decision-making. We can no longer be puppets on a string for executives and other sponsors. We need to have some integrity and do the right things. So again, trust the process. I'm not going to lose sleep over it anymore. I'm comfortable with my relationship with U.S. soccer now. I mean, this week in the United States is all about love with it being Valentine's Day and all. I'm giving them a clean slate. They are going to do the right things. They will make me happy again. I know they will. Am I crazy to think otherwise? They won't make the same mistakes again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trust the process. Or don't. All right. Well, switching gears to wrap things up today, I have two questions that I will answer quickly before giving my final thought of the week. And first up today, have you been watching any of the U-17 CONCACAF matches? I have had a chance to watch a little bit of our U-17s in their CONCACAF matches. They've taken care of business, winning all three of their group stage matches, beating Barbados, Trinidad and Tobago, and last night they beat their northern rivals in Canada. Honestly, without knowing what the other countries have at this youth level, I expect the U.S. to win these matches. The U.S. have advanced to the round of 16 where they will face off against the Dominican Republic this Saturday. There are some exciting players with, within the squad, and they have a lot of potential to win the entire tournament, with Mexico being their main competition, of course. But the goal for the U.S. is to make the semifinals as the top four finishers in this tournament qualify for the 2023 FIFA U-17 World Cup that will be held in Peru in November. Should the U.S. advance and qualify, they will have a real chance to make a run at their first ever Youth World Cup title. Next up, what are your predictions for the MLS season? Do you think LAFC will repeat as champions? And I'm glad someone sent this over to me this week. The MLS season starts next weekend. So we are basically, what, eight, nine days away from kicking things off? I think it will be a historic season. There are a lot of exciting things happening across the league. We had some new kit releases this week. We have had some intriguing offseason signings. And we have more support in this country for soccer than ever before. But I'm going to pause and hold off on making any predictions for today because next week I will be doing a deeper dive into this exact question and give my MLS predictions before the season officially kicks off. 
Do I think LAFC will repeat as champions? It's one of the most difficult things to do in any sport. LAFC has been absolutely, uh, or has absolutely continued to assemble a super squad, but they have lost some players, most notably Gareth Bale to retirement. However, I think at this very moment, they're still the team to beat. Anytime you have a current champion heading into a new season, all eyes are on them. Teams are more motivated to want to beat them every single time they step on the pitch. It's a different intensity when you play a champion. So I'll tip my hand to my predictions for next week's episode and say this. LAFC will not be repeating as champions. All right. Only one main final thought of the week, and that's going back to our head coach search for the U.S. men. With Jesse Marsh looking like he might be joining Southampton as their new head coach, it eliminates him from consideration. Even if the offer doesn't work out, which sounds like as of this uh, this this afternoon that it's not going to, I think it still shows a clear desire for him to continue with his club management career, which is fine. I think he would have been someone the guys would have responded well to. Should he have decided to, st- or should we have decided to stick with an American head coach? But again, I believe we should find a foreign influence that aligns to our talent and helps unlock a lot of the potential that I feel has been held back in order to establish this culture within the squad. A national team coach is so much different than being a club coach. With a club coach, you get to live and breathe life and soccer every single day with your squad. You evolve with them. You have a lot of time to adapt to things. As a national team coach, you work with your players on a limited basis. You work with players who play in various different styles and formations and roles. You have to establish a plan, and national team players have to buy in. But as a coach, you have to play to their strengths and not force a square peg into a round hole. We just experienced the latter with Greg, as he was not willing to adapt to his players. He was stubborn and stuck with his formation and tactics, no matter the opponent, no matter the talent that was available to him. He wrote it out. When other teams made changes, we couldn't adapt. We need someone who can help create, who can bring a vision to this national team that is built around freedom, built around allowing players to play technical soccer and make necessary adjustments rather than continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Greg was very keen to play soccer out of the back, moving the ball from the defense to midfield to out wide to cross inside the box. It became predictable. We never changed it up. I would rather us hire someone foreign that can come in with their ideas, their experience, and attempt to challenge our players in a different way, in a way that allows for the beautiful game to actually be played. Let Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna be confident at attacking players. Let Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney dominate the center of the midfield. Allow our attack-minded group to create chances in a better, more natural way. Greg was too much X's and O's, too much drawing on a whiteboard and expecting it to play out on the pitch in the exact way that he drew it up. Players couldn't be in the, themselves in his system. They didn't have the freedom and autonomy to breathe life into the match. So whoever ends up in charge of this national team, the goal should be simple. You were hired to win the 2026 World Cup. No pressure. But if any candidate has any goal less than that, then they shouldn't be hired. And you may say, Will, that is absolutely absurd to expect to win the 2026 World Cup. And you're probably correct. But I want a leader who believes we can do it, who can see it, who knows the talent is there to make it happen, who knows the job 
or who takes the job knowing the pressure to succeed is there and is a pressure that he is used to overperforming on. I want a winner. I want a believer. So again, I'll take it back to the beginning of all of this for my final thought of the week. Trust the process. All right. Well, that's it for part two today. Thanks for listening and for continued support of Soccer Pints. Please continue to share us with others and follow Soccer Pints on Instagram and Twitter. Keep sending in comments, questions, and anything specific you would like to hear discussed on future episodes. I always enjoy the engagement and seeing how the response was since last week was really incredible. So again, thank you. Special thanks again to Kushwa Brewing for the support and for letting me feature you this week. Until next time, cheers, my friends.